Amen. Well, grab your Bible this morning or your latest tech, uh, tech, technological gizmo, whatever you got with you this morning. Stand with me. We're going to honor the reading of the wonderful Word of the Lord today. Today we're looking in the book of Romans chapter number 10. The book of Romans chapter number 10 this morning. And we're going to be reading verse number 13. The book of Romans chapter number 10. And we're going to read simply verse 13 this morning. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Father, I thank you for the incredible plan of salvation. Father, I thank you that you were willing to do for us what we could never ever do for ourselves. Father, I just pray, Lord, that your anointing, Lord, will rest upon the message on the messenger, Lord, today. Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would have us to hear today, all for the glory of God, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be... Well, I have some good news and I have some bad news today. The bad news is man is a sinner... And he's on his way to eternal punishment. And there's absolutely not one single thing that man can do to change it. The good news is God has a plan. And God's plan for man is that he will do for man what man cannot do for himself. God's plan is called the plan of salvation. A plan that God put in place before he even created man. Are you aware of that this morning? That before God ever created man, God put in place the plan of salvation. You see, because of God's foreknowledge, he knew that although he created man sinless and he created man perfect, yet God knew that when man was tempted with sin, that man would yield to the temptation and fall. And because of this, God put a plan in place to redeem or to buy back the eternal soul of man. The Bible said that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. So that tells me that God did this, this plan of salvation. He he, he created the plan of salvation before he even formed man out of the dirt. You see, salvation was not an afterthought. Man's sin and man's fall in the Garden of Eden did not take God by surprise. God had already prepared for the fall and the sin of man. Aren't you thankful this morning for salvation? Some of you will remember the old, old hymn of the church that we used to sing that went something like this. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me so great a salvation, so rich and so free. Well, I want us to talk a little bit about salvation today. And there are two things that we need to know about salvation. You'll find, fill in the blank notes on the back of your bulletin that will help you and give you something to go home with this morning. So first of all, we know that, that, that it's a gift. The first thing we need to know about salvation is it's a gift. Romans 6 and 23, the wages or the punishment for sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we know this morning that salvation is a gift. And we understand that a gift cannot be earned, it cannot be purchased. A gift can only be received and accepted. But not only is salvation a gift, but but it's by grace. It's by grace, Ephesians 2 and 8 once again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. What brings salvation to men? The grace, for the grace of God that brings salvation. So salvation is God's gift to man, and it is given by grace. And we all understand that grace means freely given and unmerited love and favor. 
You see, we can never earn our salvation. Uh, We do not deserve salvation. Uh, We can never be good enough to be saved. It is only through God's gift and his incredible grace that we are saved. Let's talk a little bit this morning about the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation. Now, the purpose of salvation is twofold. Most people understand the first purpose of salvation, but what I really want you to get, and we'll get there in a few moments, but what I really want us to get this morning is the second purpose of salvation. But we need to talk about both of them this morning. Talking about the purpose of salvation. First of all, we are saved from something. Say that with me, from. We are saved from something. Something. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, the angel spoke to Joseph and said, Mary will bring forth a son and you're going to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. The angel said, Jesus, the son of God, is coming to this earth to become the savior of man and his purpose is he will save his people from their sins. I mean, you're glad that we're saved from sin this morning. Amen. Now, there are four things I want to talk about this morning that God saves us from in relationship to sin. And the first one is the consequences of sin. I mean, if you're glad this morning you are saved from the consequences of sin, you might say, well, Pastor, what's the big deal about sin anyway? Well, the big deal is sin has consequences. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages or the penalty or the consequences of sin is death. James 1 and 15 says that when sin is finished with you, it will bring death to you. You see, sin has many, many consequences. You see, if you become an alcoholic, you will probably eventually lose your family. If you become an alcoholic, you probably will eventually get cirrhosis of the liver. If you become an alcoholic, you will probably die a premature death. Sin has consequences. Also, if you become a dope addict, if you become a sex addict or a gambling addict or a porn addict, these sins will bring with them similar circumstances. Because, you see, sin is bad stuff. Sin is bad stuff. Sin is not to be messed with. Well, the good news is Jesus died on the cross to save you from the consequences of sin. Not only are we saved from the consequences of sin, but, but, but we are saved from the condemnation of sin. The condemnation of sin. You see, sin doesn't play fair, does it? It doesn't play fair. Sin deceives. Sin plays tricks on you. You see, sin starts out fun. It starts out Fine. Sin starts out relatively innocent. Sin convinces you of its harmlessness at first. And then sin turns on you. Eventually sin reveals its true colors and we know that the color of sin is black. Sin will eventually bring with it condemnation. Oh, 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 the same sin that made you feel so good in the beginning will be the same sin that will make you feel equally bad later on. Listen, friends, sin will eventually make a fool out of you. Romans 5 and 18, through one man's offense of sin, judgment came to all men and it resulted in condemnation. But the good news is Romans 8 and 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to who? To those that are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according unto the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Hear me this morning. The good news is Jesus died on the cross in order to save us from the condemnation of sin. He didn't just save us from the condemnation of sin. He also saved us from the complications 
of sin. The complications of sin. How, how many of you understand that sin complicates our lives? Sin complicates our lives. You know, a marriage can be going along wonderfully. Oh, oh, it's a match made in heaven, it seems. But then one of the spouses sin. Perhaps the husband starts looking at pornography or perhaps the wife has an affair and things suddenly become very, very complicated. You see, the problem is sin cannot be contained. It cannot be contained. Sin doesn't just affect the one that's doing the sinning. Oh, pastor, it's no big deal. I'm the only one affected. Don't be a fool. You're not the only one affected because sin cannot be contained. You see, not only is the marriage negatively affected, but but it complicates the entire family. If you're in sin today, it doesn't just complicate your life, but it it complicates the the life of of, of your spouse and of your kids and of your grandkids. The kids are affected. The parents, the parents are affected. Oh, mutual friends must now choose sides. It's a royal mess. Because sin has a domino effect. Sin is like the energizer bunny. It just keeps going and going and going and going and going. It cannot be contained. It's not just what's happening in your life, but in all of the lives that you are a part of. Just read the story of David's sin with Bathsheba in in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It began with lust. But it ended with innocent people dying and being killed. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. But the good news is Jesus died on the cross to save us from the complications of sin. Remember that old, old song we used to sing? You'll remember it. This crowd will remind me. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Have you ever stopped to think, where could I be today but for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? I want to tell you, before you look down your long, pious, better, goody-two-shoes nose at somebody that's an alcoholic or a gambling addict or their life is messed up, before you throw your nose up in the air and act, I'm telling you, friend, that could be you and that could be me today. But for the grace of God, but for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one that has saved us and he saved us from a whole lot of incredibly horrible, horrible things. Not only did Jesus save us from the complications of sin, he saved us from the control of sin. Pastor, don't worry about me. I'm in control of my sin. I can handle my alcohol, Pastor. I can regulate my pot and my pills. Don't be a fool. What makes you so special? Let me tell you something, friend. Sin might allow you to be in control at first, but that's only used as bait in order to trap you. I'm thinking of a man that I know very, very well. A man who lives in Oklahoma City, a man that when the Races, the horses came to Oklahoma City. He went. Oh, that was something, you know, man. Horse racing in Oklahoma City. And he went. And he had fun. And it was fun. And he would laugh how fun it was. And he won. He won. And he would come back to his friends and he would say, look. Look, I went with $10, and look, I got 100 here, look. And he would win, and he would win, and he would win. And one day he told his friend, he said, I, I have figured it out. 
I know how to win. I figured it out. But he went back and he lost. Oh, that's just a fluke. He went back and he lost. He went back and he lost. Then he borrowed money and went back and lost borrowed money. And then he took the wages that he owed his crew members and took it. And before this man was through, he had no family, he had no friends, and he was literally homeless. Homeless. Let me tell you something, friend. Sin, oh, sin might allow you to be in control at first, but that is only bait in order to trap you. Listen, friend, unless you get saved, unless you get delivered from your sin, I'm telling you that sin will eventually own you. Sin will be in control of your life. Sin will become your master. You will become a literal slave to your sin. 2 Timothy 2 and 26, they that come to their senses and escape the, uh, no, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Notice two words here, snare and captive. Paul said in Romans 6 and 20, you were slaves of Sin. We're talking about salvation today. Salvation has two purposes. Oh, we are saved from something. Oh, there are so many bad things that come with sin. Oh, sin has the absolute potential to ruin your life on planet earth. And then it has the potential to damn your soul for all of eternity. But Jesus came and he gave his life and he shed his blood to save us from our sin. Aren't you glad this morning for God? Salvation. Amen. Amen. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin. But listen, friend, that's not all that salvation is about. Not only are we saved from something, but I want to suggest this morning that number two, the second purpose of salvation is we are saved for something. For something. Hebrews 6 and 9, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany, things that accompany salvation. No, we're not just saved from something, but we are saved for something. The writer of Hebrews said there are things that accompany or go along with salvation. You might say, Pastor, what are we saved for? Well, let me suggest two things this morning. Number one, this morning, I believe we are saved for God's pleasure. God's pleasure. You see, God created man for his pleasure. He created man for fellowship. When man sinned in the garden, his sin separated man from God. You see, mixing God with sin is like trying to mix oil and water. It just doesn't happen. But God sent Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for man's sin so that God and man could once again have a relationship and so that God could take pleasure in his most prized creation. The psalmist said in Psalm 147 and 11, the Lord takes pleasure... In those who fear him. And the psalmist said in Psalm 149 and 4, The Lord takes pleasure in his people. And Isaiah 43 and 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name whom I have created for my glory. God created us for something. And one of the four somethings is he created us for his pleasure. We haven't just been saved from some things. And that's what I want you to get this morning because most of you, oh, you understood everything that I said in point number one and lots of amens and lots of shouting and and that's what we mostly talk about when we talk about salvation. But what I really want to talk about this morning is not necessarily those things that we were saved from, but I want us to talk about the fact that we are saved for some things. Not just from some things, but for some things. And one of the things we have been saved for is God's 
pleasure. Now, I'm a father and a grandfather. Actually, I'm not a grandfather. I'm a pawpaw. You say, Pastor, what's the difference between a grandfather and a pawpaw? About 20 years. That's the difference, all right? <laughs> and let me tell you that I have pleasure in being a father, and I especially take pleasure in being a pawpaw. I just don't understand people who don't enjoy being parents and grandparents. It just doesn't compute. Now listen, I'm not saying my kids were perfect when they were growing up. I'm not saying my kids never got on my nerves. I'm not saying, uh, you know, uh, kind of like that one lady that, that was being interviewed and she had five kids and they were all being honorary at the same time and someone asked her, said, said, if you had it to do all over again, would you still have five kids? She said, I sure would, just not the same ones. I mean, there were a few times when my kids were growing up, I would have traded them off for somebody else or at least locked them in the closet for a while. Hey, man, I'm not telling you everything was perfect, and what, but I am telling you that when my kids were growing up and even especially now as my children are adults, I take pleasure. I enjoy my kids. And my kids brought me incredible pleasure to me and to my wife. My wife and I, we followed our kids around all over the country. I mean, we followed them all over the country, man, as they were involved and participated in baseball, softball, basketball, volleyball, cheerleading, football, track, debate, gymnastics, school plays, award ceremonies, homecoming crownings. Yeah, my kids were involved in every single one of those events. And I was there. Man, I was there with my head up high, with my daughter on my elbow, three years in a row. She was homecoming princess. She was my princess, but she was homecoming princess that night too. Man. You name it, we were there. And now it's our granddaughter's turn. And don't you even get me started on my granddaughters. My youngest granddaughter is just nine months old. She can't walk. She can't talk. She doesn't have a tooth in her head. Oh, and yet she has totally captured the heart of her pawpaw. I'm telling you, she can make me act like a goon. She can make me act like an absolute idiot, and I don't even care. When they bring that little girl over to our house, my wife knows she better grab her quickly because Pawpaw has her about 80% of the time. Amen, I'm telling you, that little girl has captivated my heart as well as my other two grandkids. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. Listen, I'm telling you, I would literally do anything in my power to help them with absolutely anything that they needed. My greatest pleasure in life comes from my family. Well... The Bible tells me that God is my heavenly father. And he saved me for his pleasure. And I bring pleasure to my heavenly father through our relationship. The Bible says that God rejoices over his people. This word rejoice in the original language literally means to throw your hands up in the air and spin around wildly. That's what it says about God, that he rejoices over his people. That God, oh, he throws his hands up in the air and spins around wildly about his children, about his people. I'm telling you this morning, God is crazy about his people. He saved us for his pleasure. Not only are we saved for God's pleasure, we're also saved for God's purpose. And I know I do a lot of preaching and teaching about this, but I'm doing it some more. And when you get it, we'll go on to something else. But Jeremiah 29 and 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Oh, plans to give you a future and a hope. Paul wrote to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 10. He said, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, and my purpose. 
Notice the words plans and purpose in these two verses. You see, God didn't just save us from something, but he saved us for something. He saved us for his purpose. Hear it one more time. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Now, it's not hard for you to understand that God has a purpose for my life because I'm a pastor. Or Brother Doug, because he's an evangelist or a missionary evangelist. Or, or, or Beverly Mosley, who's one of our missionaries. Most people don't have a problem understanding that God has a purpose and a plan for them. But I'm telling you that God has a purpose and a plan for you. As much as he has a purpose and a plan for me, he has a purpose and a plan for you. Some people have misconceptions about this. They think that a purpose has to be something bigger and better than anybody else's or, or that, that, that a purpose, that they're looking for some gigantic, grand, grandiose, glorious, mystical kind of something or other. Well, it's seldom ever that. It's seldom ever that, so stop looking for that. Your purpose could be as simple as being a godly wife and mother. That could be your purpose in life, as simple as being a godly wife and mother. But I ask you, what could be more important than serving your husband and children in a godly way? What could be more important than fashioning and forming the next generation? I've given this to you before, but it bears repeating, and I want to share it with you, and we'll just hit it, and then we'll be done this morning. But let me help you find your purpose this morning. So let me remind you of three questions. If you want to find your purpose in life, I think there's three questions you can ask yourself. And if you'll answer these questions, honestly, I believe you can discover your purpose. The first question I think you need to ask yourself, if you want to find out what your purpose in life is, ask yourself, who am I? Who am I? You see, your purpose can be found in who you are. Who you are. Pastor, how, how, how do I discover who I am? The answer, by looking in your heart. Who are you? Whatever you find in your heart, that's who you are. So if you want to find out who you are, look in your heart. Psalm 20 and 4 says, May God grant you your heart's desire, your heart's desire, and make all your plans succeed. I don't think heart's desire and plans are in that same verse for no reason. God's plan for your life can be found in your heart. Amen? Amen. I know you're with me, but it would help me if I heard it. And I do. I didn't mean that. I mean, it just helps. Amen? So what's in your heart? What are, what are you passionate about? What, what, what's your passion? What moves you? What stirs you? What motivates you? What makes you mad? What makes you sad? What makes you glad? You see, answering these questions will help you discover your purpose Looking in your heart will help you discover who you are. And then when you find out who you are, then the next question you need to ask yourself is, where am I? Where am I? Where am I in life? Are you married? Are you a parent? A grandparent? An employer, an employee. You see, where you are in life is a clue to your purpose. You see, most likely you are where you are in life because God led you there. Now let me clarify this statement. If you are in sin, you got there all by yourself. But most likely you are where you are in life because God led you there. He either led you there directly or indirectly. I've told you this before, but I'm just trying to give you personal examples so you can figure it out for yourself. You see, my purpose in life, for me, my purpose in life, I've discovered includes being a faithful husband. 
in a few weeks, 40 years. Dependable father. Loving Papa. I'm a mentor. Do you know there's actually some young guys that like to hang out with me? Now there's some that don't want to hang out with me, but there's some that want to. So I'm a mentor. I'm a leader. My purpose includes being a pastor. But not just a pastor. How many know that as far as pastors are concerned, one size doesn't fit all? Now, I certainly don't believe that, you know, when, you know, even in this church, you know, for, for, for in, in nine and a half years, you had three pastors. You had one for 33, pastor? 33 years? And then you had three after that, three years at a time. And probably the first two probably said God led them away, and we understand the the reason why the third one left. But oftentimes, you know, churches will have different pastors, and of course the pastor says it's God's will for them to come, and he says it's God's will for them to go. And sometimes it is God's will for them to go, and then sometimes they're just fed up. Or they're just tired, or they're beat up, or they're weary. Okay? But, but, but God does sometimes bring in one and he leaves them for some time, whether it's 3, 5, 10, 20, 33 years, whatever it is. And then he brings somebody else in. And usually the guy that comes in is not like the guy that left. There's a lot of reasons for that too. Especially if the people didn't like the guy that left. If they don't like the guy that left and he's over here, they're going to go get somebody that's over here. Come on. But usually, even that sometimes is God indirectly guiding and directing because not one size doesn't fit all. God brings different men for different seasons in the church. And so, one size doesn't fit all for every pastor. So God, not only when he calls somebody to be a pastor or he calls somebody, whatever the ministry he calls them into, just because he calls them into it, that doesn't just give them a blanket thing there where, you know, I'm just going to be like everybody else. No, that person, like a pastor, needs to discover what their purpose as a pastor is. God, you've called me to be a pastor, but what is it that you want me to do in the church as a pastor? Are you getting this or am I confusing you? So as a pastor, I've discovered my purpose because not all pastors are alike. One size doesn't fit all. God doesn't do the same thing through every pastor. He has different pastors to do different things in different times and different seasons in the church. And so I've discovered that my purpose as a pastor includes bringing healing to wounded people that have been hurt and wounded by and disillusioned by other pastors. I can take you back 30 years. And tell you places that I've been. And when I got there, I discovered that these are wounded people. And I'm not saying I'm great and perfect. I'm just saying God has, part of my, the purpose of my ministry is to heal wounded people that have been wounded and disillusioned and hurt by pastors and ministers that have fallen and have failed them. My purpose as a minister includes building buildings. I had that label put on me early in my ministry and I rejected it. I said, no, my daddy was a builder. I'm not. Well, I can't say that anymore. I've built three churches from scratch. I've built three additions to churches and I'm in the process of building church number four. And the pastor of Alpha International Seventh-day Adventist Church says that I'm not really building my church over there. I'm building his next one. He tells me, do a good job because that's my, you're building me my next, you built me this one, you're going to build me that one. I said, okay, we'll sell you that one and then we'll move to 360 or 20. Amen, I'm not done. Amen. My purpose as a pastor also includes building a strong mission-sending church. 
If you want to discover your purpose, ask yourself, where am I in life? Genesis chapter 13 and verse 14, God told Abraham, he said, Abe, he said, hey guy, he said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. That's very significant. He said, look from the place where you are. See, a lot of people will do something for God when they get somewhere or certain situation or circumstances all line up perfectly for this. When this, this, and this happened, no, no. God said, hey, Abraham. He said, he said, lift up your eyes, but do it from right where you are. You see, God always starts with us right where we are. You see, where you are today is as good a place to begin as any place. In fact, it's the only place God's going to start with you. He's going to start with you right where you are. You might say, well, well, I'd like to be where you are, Pastor. Well, you probably wouldn't, but maybe you would. But um, where I am is not where I started from. I said, where I am is not where I started from. I started with 13 people, nine of them. Uh, little widow lady, 70 to 95 years old, uh, living in a rat-infested shack called a parsonage. And that's, no, that's a literal. That's where I started. And you look around New Bethel today, it's not where I started from. Perhaps you are at right now is this or where you are at right now is as good a place to start. And God will take you right where you are and he will lead you where he wants you to be. And the third question to ask yourself very quickly is, what is in my hand? What is in my hands? Exodus 4 and 2, God asked Moses, hey, what do you got in your hand? You see, not only will God start with us where we are, he will start with us with what we already have. The gifts, talents, and abilities that God has placed in all of our lives. All of them are different from person to person, but they are a clue to his purpose for our life. Uh, I'm saying this not as to brag. I'm trying to make a, a point, so please, if it comes off wrong, I'm just trying to make a point here. I have always been a leader. My whole life, I've always been a leader. You say, Pastor, were you the, the guy that was the last in line that got picked? No, I was the guy that was picking the kids for the team. That's who I was. I was the guy that was one... As a kid in grade school, I was one of the kids that picked the teams. That's who I was. President of the student council when I was, in, when I was a freshman. Captain of the football team. I've always been a leader. The gifts, talents, and abilities we have are a clue to our life's purpose. See, if I weren't leading a church, I'd be leading something. I would be, again, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, if I wasn't leading a church, I would be leading something because that's just part of the gifting. When we were in Midland, I had several rental properties and, and then I would flip houses sometimes, buy a, an old rundown house and remodel it and sell it. And I got way past doing the work. I just, you know, hired people to do it all. My wife told me one day, said, the only reason why you flip houses is so you'll have more people to boss. She didn't mind the extra money. What do you have in your hands? Whatever your gifts are, your talents are, your abilities are, whatever your, the resources that you have, these are a clue to God's purpose in your life. If we could have the musicians and singers back this morning. We're talking about salvation today. Oh, never forget this this morning. God didn't just save us from something, but he also saved us for something. Are you bringing God any pleasure? Are you bringing God any pleasure? Are you fulfilling God's purpose in your life? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed this morning. There are two purposes for salvation. Number one, God saved us from something. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you thankful today that you've been saved from so many bad 
You're here in this building. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today. You're here today and you need God to save you from. You need God to save you from your sin. You're in sin today. And you need God to save you from your sin. If that's you this morning, I want you to lift your hand and lift it up really high. It's dark in here right now, so leave it up until I acknowledge that somebody has lifted up. I will not call your name. I will not embarrass you, but I need to know that you have lifted your hand this morning. You're here today, and you, you have sin in your life. You have sin in your life, and you need God to save you today from your sin. I'm going to give you a moment this morning. Maybe you're here today and you have a, an addiction. I'm not looking down at you today. I'm not talking down to you today. I'm, but for the grace of God, but for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Addiction is in my family. Not my immediate family, but my, the family I grew up with. Addiction is in my family. But for the grace of God, but for the blood of Jesus Christ, but for better choices in my life, it could be me that is the addicted one, not the preacher. So I'm not looking down at anybody today, but I am here to help you today. If you have an addiction in your life today, I want to tell you that God can break that addiction. He can break that addiction. And don't be a fool. Please don't be a fool and thinking, I can handle it. No, you can't. No, you can't. And there's probably already enough signs in your life where you ought to already know and understand that you can't. I'm telling you, you're in a safe place today. I'm telling you, you're in a place that loves you and cares for you today and wants to help you today. And I'm telling you that God can break the addiction, whatever that addiction might be in your life. It may not be any of the addictions that I mentioned. Those are just obvious ones. There can be some other addictions that we just don't talk about or just are not all that uh, obvious. If you have an addiction to sin that is addictive in your life, I want to pray with you today. And I want to believe God today through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit today that bondage, that addiction, let me tell you what the, what the devil's telling you right now. I, this doesn't happen to me a lot, but, but the Lord just told me right now. Right now, the devil, the devil is talking to somebody right now. Here's what the devil is saying. The devil is saying that preacher is right, and you got a problem, and you need to go from this place, and you need to fix it. That's what the devil is. The Holy Spirit just told me. The devil is telling you right now that I have a problem. The preacher's right. And I need, to, I need to leave this building today and I need, to, I need to take charge and I need to fix this. Well, the first two things are good. The third one's bad. Because you can't fix this. You cannot fix addiction. But you can be delivered and you can be set free. So don't listen to the lie of the devil. You've, you've listened to the Holy Spirit that has wooed you in this message today. And then now you're buying the devil's lie that says, yeah, he's right. Now you just go fix it knowing the devil, knowing you can't. If that resonates in your heart, lift your hand this morning. Let me pray with you today. I have an addiction in my life. Say, Pastor, that's embarrassing. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. Before it's all over with, embarrassment is going to be the last thing that's going to happen in your life. That's going to be the least thing. Come on. Come on. I really believe God's dealing today. I really do. Pastor, I have an addiction in my life. I need to be set free. I need to be, I need to be delivered today. I want God to deliver me today. I can't break it. I can't do it. But I know God can. And I need help. I need God to help me today. And I need that pastor to pray for me today. God bless you. Thank you. Someone 
someone else this morning. I have an addiction in my life. I need God to break it today. I need God to break it today. I need to be set free from it today. of you in this room this morning and say, Pastor, I need to know what God saved me for. I know what He saved me from, but I need God to reveal to me what He saved me for. I need to discover my purpose in life. Can I see your hand all over this room? Amen. God bless you this morning. I've given you some helps to help you. I've given you what you need to do. The ushers are coming this morning. Come on, real quickly, guys. We're out of time here, so you guys got to have got to move, move, move. And everybody, you've got to help, help these ushers. We're going to move into communion at this time. Anyone that is in this room this morning, if you're a part of the body of Christ, you're welcome to receive the communion elements today. Just If you're here today and you have unconfessed sin in your life before you partake of communion, I encourage you to ask the Lord to cleanse you and ask Him to forgive you and prepare you for communion. While there is passing out the communion elements. If you raised your hand this morning, you need prayer to be delivered from an addiction. I'm right here and I want to pray with you this morning. Are you bold enough to come and let me pray with you today? Maybe you did not raise your hand this morning, but you can still come and I can still pray with you today.
me this morning. Pastor Houston, would you join me on the platform, please? I'd like for you to pray over the elements for me this morning, please. Paul writes in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Verse number 23, he said, I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you proclaim the Lord's death. And he comes. I'd like Pastor Houston to pray over the bread and over the juice this morning, please. Our Father, we bow in your presence today holding this cup this piece of bread that is